You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm Eleanor Rust, Marketing Director at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the peer firm that specializes in music innovation and music technology. I'm here with Trista New Year Jaeger, your irregular co-host, uh, and she had an exciting experience she's here to tell us about. <laughs> well, see, I was in the middle of this cornfield, and no, um, I, I, was, I was very, very lucky to be able to attend an amazing music Music Tech Summit in Europe called Wallafornia. It's held annually in Liège, Belgium. I think this was the seventh edition. And it's a really unique meetup because it's much more focused on bringing people together, having everyone kind of get to know each other, and really making a human connection that um, I, I believe the organizers do this very purposefully so that uh, so that deals can get done in a way that's way more organic. Um, so there were, of course, panels. There were some great speakers. There was a startup competition, other fun things. Uh, but what was really at the heart of it was just meeting incredible folks from all, all over Europe and uh, some from North America and a few from Asia. It was really awesome. Fantastic. And I understand you uh, brought a recorder along and captured some audio from some of those. Well, yes, there's nothing like having a crazed American drag you into a corner of a beautiful co-work space in the middle of Belgium and make you talk about what you do. But I did get a chance to talk with some really incredible people and a really inspiring artist who's using VR and some other really edge technologies to uh, create these virtual events. Um, but from a very like artist-driven way. like It's not about the tech, it's really about what she wants to say. We also have a great interview with uh, the, you know, one of the leaders of Earth Percent. That's the organization that was co-founded by Brian Eno, talking about sustainability and how we can use music to power change, which desperately needs to happen. Uh, we also, also had some great conversations with uh, Matthias Strobel of uh, Music Tech Germany and his perspective on what's going on in his corner of the world. And with an amazing label owner, uh, Stella Reed, who gave me her perspective on what labels are facing in this day and age. So a really nice mix of, of people and ideas. And I hope everyone really enjoys listening to our conversations. Awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Hey, thanks for joining me. Do you want to introduce yourself and say what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Matthias Strobel, and uh, I'm running Music Tech Germany, which is the Federal Association for Music Technology in Germany. And we basically gather not only companies, uh, but also research institutions and academia in the field of music technology under one roof. And we're basically an independent network that caters for more innovation in the music space that's technology-based. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about how things are in your neck of the woods, in your corner of the world. What is the music tech space like? What's going on? What kind of... Are there particular areas where German startups are really shining? Are there, you know, tell us a little bit about the, the ecosystem as you see it. Um, I would say that it's a pretty diverse ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So we have like everything along the value chain that, um, that's technology driven, that could have an impact on the future music ecosystem. Um, in, on any point of the value chain, there's at least one startup that tries to invent something in that space. doesn't matter if it's a new music creation tool, a new kind of like um, social network for music, um, new DAW plugins, new musical instruments, digital or analog, new merchandising tools, new distribution channels, new ticketing services. So basically on all aspects of the music value chain or mm -hmm. even the extended music value chain, um, there's someone doing stuff. We have a really um, lively 
research, if, I, if you can say lively to research, but there's yeah, a, a research re- could be lively. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of research going on in the audio field, especially yeah. in like the field of 3D spatial audio, and um, there's a, a lot of codecs are uh, developed in, in Germany and. Startups are now trying to apply these research findings in their businesses or in their products in order to create new experiences. That's a pretty big thing right now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot happening there. And um, yeah, so I, like what I like that there's like um, that Germany itself is kind of like diverse when you yeah. see the north and the south and, um, and also the east and the west. And um, that also reflects on the music tech ecosystem. There's like a huge diversity from from all aspects. So, um, yeah, it's pretty nice. It's really cool. cool. Are there any specific challenges that you see facing startups or...? Uh, you know, like, there's, there's there's a couple of challenges that I guess every industry faces, but one particular challenge, for example, is that the exchange, and that's something we're trying to change with Music Tech Germany, the exchange between what has been already found out research-wise mm-hmm. and, or technology-wise, um, um, in terms of like what's possible with technology and how can this research be applied and be um, be made available for, for startups in order for them to use that. That's a big problem. It's not that there's a database where you can go into as a startup and say, okay, I want to do like an A&R AI algorithm that helps me to discover the next superstar. Where can I find an mm-hmm. AI system that's trained on that parameters? So there's no database or no directory where you can look up these kind of things. So that's a problem. We need to do that hand by hand manually and like really, this is a big challenge. And the other big challenge is that um, music tech is still a risky business to invest in. So there's not a lot of um, private funding coming into yeah. that space. So we need more public funding for experimentation and to actually do research and development and find out if there's like actually a, a feasible business model behind a product or service that someone has in mind. And um, yeah, so the public funding structures that we have in Germany are kind of like really back from the 80s, 90s. Um, we oh, need to break them open. And, uh, and so, so like the Swedish model or say South Korean model haven't quite, like Germany's not, no. hasn't yet gotten to that point or isn't quite thinking about it that way yet. No, it's, it's a, I guess it's a cultural thing. It's a political uh, way that the political systems work with in, in our countries or in, in all those different countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, like we still see, and we still have this kind of like silo thinking of like, okay, this is the culture and creative industries. Mm. This is like the, the digital economy. This is like, so that's like a, like if I apply for technology funding, um, the public funding institutions will tell me that I'm too arty. And if I apply for oh, art funding, yeah. they tell me I'm too techy. Yeah. So there is no, no system in place that allows these, these innovations that bridge both worlds mm-hmm. um, to be publicly funded and in other countries like South Korea they have totally different systems or in Sweden or in the yeah. Nordics in general so um, yeah we are still really way the others are really way ahead of us that's very interesting um, it's funny how those categories can you know it's you're like oh great there's all this arts funding but it's can't if, if you go too far in a certain direction the arts funders are thinking like well yeah this doesn't fit into the normal no. um, performing arts mode um, so now this is my favorite question and I think you're gonna really uh, I hope you appreciate it <laughs> so especially because you work with so many artists in um, in your booking agency yeah. that uh, really are pushing some of these boundaries so in 10 years think ahead and it, it's a, a think ahead and, and think optimistically mm-hmm. right so um, and you can get as sci-fi as you want what are you looking forward to how do you, where do you see things where do you imagine things going like what kind of really cool stuff like it's just try to remember what was it 
10 years ago <laughs> but um yeah it's been Time a it's been, been a huge really, leap like really i don't know 10 years ago it's been a different world yeah. so yeah in 10 years i guess like what i would love to have is like that um it's a mixed bag on the one hand side i think we need to really open up systems and mm -hmm. like share more data with each other and make sure that um data and um assets are available to um, brave and inspiring people who want to build new tools in order to build new experiences. But then on the other hand, we also need to take care of our private data that um, things are not getting exploited and yeah. that um, we still can be secure by using these tools that are available. So in my ideal world, um, which is already kind of happening, for example, when it comes to music, I hope that we can live in a world where we have doesn't have to be implants but it can be some kind of headphone system that we have on all that all time long and um, at any present moment in our life wherever we are um, there is a kind of algorithm that knows our biofeedback data mm -hmm. our well-being our mental state like everything and makes sense of that and offers us music to listen to that fits perfectly in the state of mind that we are in at every present moment. I, yeah, I was talking to someone yesterday about these new um, e -E, like in-ear EEGs. Mm -hmm. So like um, you could imagine when certain things start happening in your brain, yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden it's, it's like the, your system suggests like, would you like to listen to Brian Eno's Apollo yeah. right now? Because yeah, that seems yeah. to like get you back into the like exactly whatever space. Like that. <laughs> exactly like that. I guess that this is like, and I think it's a, it's a, it could actually happen. Yeah. It's a, just a matter of who takes it on and um, yeah. And then, you know, how we would have to adjust culturally to having constant, yeah. like, all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, I must have just said something bad because, like, Matias is, <laughs> like, he put on Iron Maiden and is, like, in the ears mm. or whatever. That's true. But I also guess that in 10 years from now, we all have this kind of, like, I don't believe that we will have, like, lenses and stuff. No, It's no. going to take too long to actually develop batteries and stuff for that, but... I guess we will have classes that's going to add another layer of um, reality to our existing reality yeah. and that also offers an, a whole new world of experiences. So, And it, it's hard for us to imagine that, but it's also been hard like 20 years ago to imagine that we will have a computer in our pocket. Yeah. But I think that this, I'm not, I'm not a believer in the metaverse, I think that um, no. the term is like overused and it's, it's a, too much hype, but I believe that there will be an extended reality that's added mm -hmm. to our natural reality. And that's going to be the same game changer that the smartphone was for society. Like our behavior changed, our interaction mm -hmm. changed, our work, ways of communicating changed, our, our view on the world and how we experience the world around us changed through the smartphone. And the same is going to happen with these um, extended reality that we will see wherever we go. And that's also going to have a huge impact on our experiences um, culturally, but also um, yeah, how we, we grow, how we going to are we going to be ourselves in the future? Yeah, it. I feel like we're going to have to think through a bunch of choices ahead of time and define a, like an etiquette and really a culture of interaction, that, which is something that didn't happen with smartphones. Like, yeah. And the next time around, just like people are trying to talk now about how can we make NFTs avoid all the problems of the digital revolution with music, for example, mm. we're going to have to think ahead and really try to imagine, um, you know, how do we want to use these things? Because uh, otherwise, I think uh, the more we extend reality, the crazier humans can get in there. Ah, totally. And the more like mental health risks there are, actually. Absolutely. Like it, it can, can become crazy. And also, I think that a lot of these extended reality spaces are going to be occupied by 
commercial brands by we're going to be bombarded with ad advertisements and all that the kind of bullshit. Great. We need to take care <laughs> that that's not going to happen yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. already bad enough that a lot of public spaces are going to be used for commercials what could be used for like um, providing information or creating uh, artistic experiences. Yeah, or, or talking, like a community talking about itself, like yeah. working through various like historical issues, using different imagery to talk about the people who live there. Like you could do all sorts of really interesting True. stuff. True, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matthias, for, uh, for, for talking through um, our, our uh, augmented reality future. Thank you for having me. Okay. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Can you introduce yourself? Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Stella, Stella Reed. Um, I'm co-founder of Rough Bones, which is an indie label that's based in the UK, London. Awesome. So. What's the music tech ecosystem like in your corner of the world? How is it affecting the way your label operates? Well, I mean, in the last four or five years, we've seen an evolution, I'm going to say, of music tech. And I think right across the board, it's affecting how all labels operate. It's, a, it's sort of an era where you're forced to change to survive. Um, and you're seeing sort of a, a rise in sort of online ways of putting out music um, as a total ecosystem where you can do everything at your fingertips. Um, and this has sort of brought the world together in a way, but at the same time, maybe eliminated a lot of the person-to-person -person contact, in, yeah. you know? So there's positives and there's negatives of it. Um, but I suppose the, the, the strongest positive is, is that it's allowed the artist to be more independent and more in control of their creative process and to some degree their uh, creation to fan, fan consumption process um, because now you have uh, online services that allow production to happen um, at your fingertips, you can hire uh, producers, mixers, engineers, collaborators um, from different platforms. You can also access music creation softwares at your fingertips. So there's a lot. There's a lot of things that have have uh, come that have come together in the last couple of years yeah. to make the process a lot easier. So, as a as someone at a label, I'm sure you're always thinking about what can we do to support our artists better or offer them something that they can't just get on their own. Are there tools that have helped you? Uh, support artists in this way? Are, are there particular things that have really unlocked more um, potential for you as a label is trying to help these artists maximize their creativity? Right, I love that question actually. You said something there. Uh, what are the things that you can offer artists that essentially they can't get anywhere else? And I think the key thing is experience because you're now in a in an, as I said, an online uh, ecosystem where everything's happening digitally, distribution, um, making the record, collaborating. And the, the error before this was having uh, experience, sort of real practical in-person experience on how things like royalties, copyright, licensing work, syncing. And that's not something you can understand by just clicking a link. You know, True. there's yeah. an element of it that has to do with having that practical life experience. And I think being able to demystify these very, very confusing areas, particularly with new technology where licensing is not as it used to be five years ago. <laughs> and, and it's very unclear in a lot of these spaces. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So um, I think in, in that sort of evolution of things, having people that have experience and a knowledge base and they're also 
actively learning um, with the changing technology what it means to uh, you know for, for, for an artist to sign a publishing deal to sign a licensing deal um, to, to earn from DSPs no matter how little or how, how much they earn all that is invaluable I think in this era that's really cool um, I'm most of the, and I love that your answer didn't focus on what is sort of the cliched answer which is marketing which maybe for majors that is a huge contribution they bring to the table right. for a smaller label that's a huge lift right um, but still important anyway what um, this is my most favorite question which is if you look ahead and imagine um, things turn out really well in the next five to ten years. We can get a little sci-fi, but like happy sci-fi. Uh, right. <laughs> happy sci-fi. Happy sci-fi, where it's like, oh, cool. Um, what do you see happening? What would what would things look like ten years from now uh, for artists and labels? Let's just let's focus labels. on that. Unless you uh, unless you have a favorite, like I want to be in the metaverse, um, <laughs> you know, and the metaverse. <laughs> that's a whole can of worms. A different topic altogether. I think it, you know. To simplify my answer, I think in the next five to ten years, we're going to see a, an evolving change in dynamic or the way artists and labels partner. Um, because up till this point, with innovation and technology, we're seeing the uh, content being dictated by consumers. Mm. So the fans are almost deciding what they want to see and they have a much stronger voice than they've had before and the same thing with the artists they're creating uh, more independently than they ever have have had created so um, I think you're gonna see a shift in the model of how uh, revenue split with artists because that interaction what the artist is going to rely on the label for will have evolved over time there'll still be some parts like I said the practical experience uh, the taking of some of the burden away of creating and bringing product to market that the label can do more efficiently for the artist. So you're going to see a, a shift in balance and also with that there will need to be a change in revenue model as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, that makes a lot across, of sense. Across yeah. the board. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Stella, for taking a minute here to talk Pleasure. to me. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, thanks so much for joining me. Could you introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Kathy Runtsman. I'm the Executive Director of Earth Percent UK. Can you tell us a little bit about Earth Percent for those of those listening who don't know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Earth Percent was set up uh, a little while ago, co-founded by Brian Eno, uh, among others, uh, other wonderful humans in the music space. Um, and set up with the intention of trying to provide some really simple and innovative ways for people right across music to give back to the planet. So I like to sort of sum up the mission as being we're trying to unleash the power of music in service of the planet. Um, what does that look like? That looks like uh, principally looking for ways to divert income at source whether that's from touring or songwriting or merchandise sales and whether that's from the artist side or the industry side and then um, funnel that into a um, grant making fund that is managed by an absolutely wonderful expert panel of cli uh, climate scientists and activists and um, given away to many wonderful organizations doing the hard work of uh, helping us address the climate emergency. Excellent. Um, 
I hope I'm not going to be out of line when I ask about <laughs> something that you brought up in a panel here today, which, of course, most of our podcast listeners didn't get a chance to experience, um, that, you know, their artists have often been kind of on the front lines of either being questioned for their climate practices, right, or uh, being um, or being asked to step up. And in some ways, we're kind of asking the wrong people. Um, who... Who should we be talking to uh, in in the industry? I mean, who really can can really make a difference in music? Like when it comes to things like you know donating a little bit of their revenue or rethinking their business model. Um, where do you see the biggest potential for change? Without again, this is not a judgmental uh, thing, sure. but just who has who's really got the most room to maneuver and help us all? Well. I think the first thing to say is uh, the crisis is sufficiently uh, grave and urgent that it needs everybody mm. and everybody has something to contribute and offer and for some people it may be time or their creative talents I mean there are there is so much talent and energy and creativity across music that mm. that there's space for everybody so that's that for me that's really important this isn't one of the things we've got to get beyond is everybody's slight hope that somebody else is going to fix this right? I've been hoping that we need everybody <laughs> we need everybody in this I think the thing is that what people can contribute and what is fair to ask people to contribute mm -hmm. uh, can look quite different. Clearly, people at very different stages of their career. Um, our, our basic principle is, um, is it possible to move 1% from all income streams mm -hmm. um, to climate causes? That feels like a fair way to set out because yeah. it's 1%, uh, it's the same proportion for everybody, but still it's important to recognize that if you are um, at a very early career stage and you're not even making a living, it's not your primary way of making a living, then being asked to give anything is quite uh, is quite a big ask. And we all are also very aware of uh, just the fact how extremely well some parts of the music industry have done over the last few years yes. and how much... Um, how much revenue uh, is being made. I, for me, one of the important things is that artists have enormous power in terms of their relationship with their audiences. And so finding ways to help artists really unlock that power and feel comfortable and good about doing so and not feeling scared, unsupported, or like this is going to be bad for their mental health, frankly, or that they're going to be immediately sort of shot down with accusations of hypocrisy, which many artists get concerned about. Right? Yeah. There are many things that we we can do about that. The first thing is that an artist needs the support from the industry side, right? If an artist says, I want to do something about this and I want to speak out about it and I want to use my voice and I want to use my want to use my platform, ideally they would A be being supported by the label, their publisher, their team, the people around them. Or even and asked of right out of the gate, like what's your what's your climate pol like what's your climate part of your career gonna look like? You know, like have that be built in from the get go, you know, the way people think about merch and publishing and you know Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's um, that's an absolutely beautiful aspiration. I feel yeah. like we're uh, frustratingly, <laughs> we're frustratingly a little way off that. But but I also think this this can move very quickly. I mean, I'm really interested in the point at which uh, some people might say my decision about the organisation I want to be signed to, the team I want to build around me, who yeah. I want to work with, uh, will be based uh, in part on how credible and real I think their uh, sustainability policy is and also mm -hmm. my opportunity to sort of use my 
to use my platform and my possibility to make a positive contribution on that. Clearly, there's a financial, there are financial imbalances across uh, the industry, and I think artists do feel that they're often the first people to be uh, approached to support particular mm-hmm. causes. Again, that happens for a reason, because they have enormous influence. So uh, anybody that's doing the hard graft of uh, fundraising, and, you know, I, 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 feel, <laughs> I feel for all of you, all of us uh, uh, doing that, you know, people who fundraise do it for things that they passionately care about and believe yeah. in. Um, look at artists and think, you know, if I can bring in a handful of people with that kind of public profile and influence, you know, the domino effect sort of in a positive way, all good things topple towards that. But I think in a very, very serious way, you know, the the industry side really needs to get behind it. I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. a choice now, right? You know, you yeah. can be you can be behind it, meaning in a time lag behind it, you know, <laughs> behind the curve, or you can step right out in front of this. There's this um, really brilliant research I recommend people look up uh, from the University of Glasgow that's just been published um, that was asking the question about you know how much do music fans and they'll tell you how they define what a music fan is right um, care about the climate issue and they are more um, predisposed to care about the issue to want to see explicitly they're asked the question do you want to see artists take action on this do you want to see the music industry take action on this and the answer was a resounding yes but also interestingly that they felt that what that the things that are being done because there are great people doing wonderful things right across the space was very invisible so they weren't aware they weren't able to name or explain many of the initiatives that are going on so there's a huge piece of work to do and a huge opportunity I mean it is an opportunity right absolutely uh, how you know this word a music tech conference mm-hmm. and well I don't um, you know I never expect people to you know, give me all the ins and outs or have, uh, but from your perspective, what do you think the role of technology is in some of these things? I mean, part of the the awareness thing is is obvious, like, you know, technology can can, um, facilitate that, but are there other aspects um, related to music addressing the climate crisis that you see, where you see technology having a direct role, whether it's positive or negative or you know how, how can tech help us in this situation I guess that's that's my best question <laughs> sure um, I mean I tend to be of the school that thinks you know it, it, I don't sort of fetishize the technology itself mm-hmm. right it's not tech that will save us it's people people using <laughs> people, the tech or using people yeah. I think people with um, with with purpose and and good values mm-hmm. who want to use technology to 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 really try to contribute to helping us find a a route through uh, what are going to be some very bumpy times ahead i mean what what i talked about yesterday on the panel which is true is that you know there are some very specific challenges in music in that you know for touring there are some specific production issues that were talked about yesterday um jamal talabi that was on the panel with me was talking about you know the challenge generators. of being able to yeah plug into the grid and not use not lug diesel generators around that seems was like a, so amazing and just not knowing exactly what load you need to plan for and just planning for the highest possible peak right because nothing load. can go wrong yeah. and therefore and so that's so actually that issue of waste you know yeah. wasted resource which is just not a thing we can afford in any sense no. of that word 
that's a really, really, that's a really big issue. But the thing is that, you know, the things that we need to solve in music are the things that we need to solve for society. It's yeah. not really a different set of issues. You know, if you look at, you know, from the UN down, what are the things that we're trying to solve? Well, we're trying to change the way that we move mm-hmm. so that we can travel sustain. But travel is massive. So fan travel to gigs is 80% of the impact of most major concerts. Wow. Right? So you know that's an infrastructure issue that's an urban planning issue that's mass transit uh, sustainable aviation the person who cracks that is going to be um, <laughs> going to be probably the most popular uh, I mean, I human heard, on them yeah i heard they just had a successful electric they did, plane yes, flight well, yeah i mean i think we are frustratingly a long way away from that being something that's available yes. to everybody to use and so therefore of course like wonderful organizations like uh, a greener festival or julie's bicycle who advise um artists for instance on how to do touring more sustainably mm-hmm. and have a lot of the sort of data in the background so you know it's as much about how you plan the routing of the tour yeah right because until we have more sustainable ways of travel some people have been able to look at like can we switch to train travel which is in europe is often more efficient frankly oh yeah it's just absolutely. it's more expensive which yeah. is the wrong way the wrong way around but but you know the way that we move the way that we power things you know uh, the clothes that we wear you know we talk we've talked a bit at this event about merch you know that's it's it's a real challenge you know uh, sustainable merch there are some interesting uh, people and some startups here that are trying to trying to take that on but um, actually the the sort of systems that create the clothes that we wear are some of the most complex in the world to try to actually do traceability of yeah, what you're wearing like exactly. right back from either you know the seed that was planted to grow the cotton crop on you know whose land and farming it under what conditions and mm-hmm. the use of water right through to then how clothing is made uh, the human rights issues in the in the labor supply chain and then through to sort of other more obvious sustainability yeah. markets you know. shipping and packaging and it's, all you know it's a, Absolutely, it's it's absolutely massive. Yeah. Um, so you know, m- merch is a really big area. How can how can tech help in that? You know, well, on demand, obviously, on demand services, creating marketplaces. <laughs> yeah. There are there are so many possible interventions. I think mm-hmm. in in the space, food is massive, but festivals and events, right? Yeah. So the food, the food that we eat, uh, and then how that's brought in and where does it come from? So, and you also mentioned yesterday on the panel the the drink cup issue. Yes, yes, <laughs> Which, it's not my area of expertise no, at no, all. But, but it's but, but, just but yes. noting that it's these little details that add like a lot of the waste from a like the, the trash from a festival is cups, right? right? And like, how do we? It's it's a uh, and people have been working on that for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. not <laughs> not solved and again it's sort of interesting because that is one of those things I think it's become a bit of a holy grail it's like if somebody can solve that <laughs> the holy drink cup that is it, right? <laughs> uh, it is but yes you know I didn't realise quite for how long you know that's been huh. absolutely key topic in, in those discussions but we haven't sort of haven't solved it yet but so, but so I think you know, tech is this kind of entirely separate world and space. I mean, clearly at this conference, people are talking a lot about um, experiences and mm-hmm. how experiences in uh, in virtual worlds may replace some of the experiences that we um, yeah. that we currently need to travel to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, obviously, there would be a massive 
positive impact, although we are all also avoiding the fact that we don't really know how to measure the impact. Yes, the server of, farm problem. Yeah, and of the streaming and sort of what what what's going to be possible and again all of that, you know, it's use of it's use of land. Yeah. We have to have enough space for the for the solar farms that would power the server farms yes. that need to be kept cool, that need to you know, there's yeah. there's um, and all the servers people, are made of materials, and some of those are mined and really. You know, somebody once said it's like the, the 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 cleverest branding in the world was calling it the cloud because a lot of people literally think it's not a physical. Oh, it's thing. this beautiful little ethereal <laughs> yeah. thing we don't yeah, have to worry about; just drifts by. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's it's at the moment I think in sort of measuring of uh, impact that mm. feels like well that question's a bit too difficult so yeah. we're all I think guilty of parking that one down the road a yeah. bit um, but yeah there's a, there's a lot that tech's going to contribute positively in this space good that's a great segue to my last question which um, it's a, a little bit of an opportunity for some positive imagination mm. um, we always love to ask people about you know Get a little sci-fi with us, and in a positive way. We're not, you know, not the not the sort of Blade Runner, um, <laughs> in a Mad Max kind of way. Um, imagine, like, you know, in ten years, some of these problems have been addressed, and we have much greener concerts or, or online experiences, or and there's a bigger awareness. Everyone does have a little climate part of their contract as they're thinking about signing with a label or a publisher. Um, what you know, what do you see? What what does that look like from your perspective as someone who thinks about this every day? What do you imagine? Um, so I think, first of all, I think that uh, across any business area, there would it would be baked in that um, there has to be some giving back, right? So, mm. so what I talked about yesterday was this concept of really thinking about the planet as a stakeholder in business mm. and what that looks like. It's present at every meeting. It's kind of, you know, on the board. Uh, you know, she's on the board, the earth. And, uh, <laughs> the and, Gaia seat. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, yeah, it's a lovely way of putting it, the Gaia seat. We should have that. Um, and, and, and therefore it's kind of really has to be both top down and bottom up. So first of all, um, all organizations understand that they need to be making a financial contribution towards the organization, other organizations that have to do, as I say, really, really the difficult frontline work of mm. tackling questions of climate justice, mitigation, nature restoration, healing the planet, yeah. right? uh, healing our oceans, you know, regenerating our soils, um, but also really climate work has to be done in a way that understands and addresses the, the, the sort of grave inequalities and injustices in our systems. We know that the impacts of uh, climate change and global heating is, are going to play out so unfairly but already are, you yeah. know, are already out a very great degree so Absolutely. I think that first of all for me it would be that understanding that mm. really the conversations are more about these systemic issues the conversations that would be being had you know from the Gaia seat at the boardroom <laughs> you know down through sort of really empowered employees right across you know that the talent in organizations would feel that they can be applying what they have to offer in part to those issues and not just the sort of narrow business of the organization and then I, th I guess it you know in the music space yeah I'd love the idea you know wonderful sort of green festivals that leave no leave no footprint either in a real way mm -hmm. <laughs> or in an emissions way you know where where it's it's obvious and natural that you know food is locally 
naturally sourced is, I believe, would be certainly vegetarian and probably vegan by then, <laughs> likely to be. Yeah, I you mean, know, and as I say, that you, there's no diesel generator on site. There's mm. no need for one. That the power is, that the power is renewable. That artists feel entirely comfortable to engage with their audiences on the topic to talk about it to sort of celebrate the positive changes that would be happening happening by then that wouldn't they wouldn't feel fearful about you know being called out for making this issue you know this issue about a livable planet for all people for generations to come avoiding species suicide is is kind of an important (laughs) thing i feel you know i feel like i'd like to not you know, wipe humanity off the face of the earth, right? <laughs> right. Or, 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 you know, and to halt species loss in general, you know. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's devastating. And I think if we if we were imagining ourselves in, in that world, I, I genuinely believe there'd be a reduction in ang- the anxiety levels people yeah. are feeling, um, you know. I think really, really, it's a very, very, you know, frightening, complicated view of the world for young people right and music for music fans to be in that space that we're now imagining 10 years down the line i think it would it would be allowing music to be all that it is which is the most joyful celebration of life you yeah know? and the healing the connection between people you know the absolutely absolutely and that that you know this is this is collective work right mm-hmm. but there is absolute joy in acting collectively and positively and i think music has a has a huge role to play. I'm a you know, passionate believer that art and artists help us not just imagine that better future, but actually help us get there. You know, mm. through that act of imagining that we can see yes. Brian Eno is extremely uh, a, a million times more articulate on this topic okay. <laughs> than I am. But you know, what, one of the things he talks about is that you know, what, what, because art can help us imagine um, different mm. futures. Uh, it can help us put a path not towards the ones that we want, but also help us realise the things that we don't want, right? Yes. Like, that's not a world I want to live in. Oh, that's a world that looks good. How do we now find a path towards that? I think we're also going to see, I think we will see nature, uh, the climate, the sort of state of the world enter the creative process for artists as well. I think there's mm. a lot more... People used to say a few years ago, like, is anyone ever going to write a good song about climate? I think there are already many beautiful... Uh, songs being created that have nature absolutely at their core and many artists who feel completely able to um, create in that space. That's really wonderful because I think what a lot of people miss in the, they, 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 they connect on the level of fear, but when it comes to thinking of a positive a direction to go, like we still don't have the emotional groundwork laid, right? And that's where music can help us emotionally either find the courage to change or examine our own behavior or just find the um, that that positive, imagining this amazing festival, like if you can't feel it, it's mm. just a thought, right? And mm. so there's that's really cool. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really awesome conversation, and I'm glad we could end on a positive note. <laughs> I know thank, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, yeah, I mean, if there's anybody you know who's in that sort of music, uh, music or tech or just music fan space, but is and it, and is thinking about climate or worrying about it and wondering, you know, where their mm. where their people are, where their community are, where their tribe is. Well, it's it's we're here. Come and find us. It's Earth Percent. Come and find us. We would welcome anybody into this conversation. Great, and we'll put some information in the show notes so Wonderful. everyone can do it very easily. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hi, thanks so much for joining me today. So can you introduce yourself? 
Hey, so I'm uh, Sarah Sarah. I'm a singer, songwriter, music producer from France. Um, I live between the UK and Spain in Ibiza. Um, and yeah, I'm here today at the Wallifonia Music Conference in Belgium. So, Sarah, can I, um, is it okay if I just call you with one Sarah? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so, how, maybe just because I heard, I got to hear a lot about what you're up to, but for our listeners, can you say a word or two about how you use technology in your creative practice? So basically I started um, not as a musician, but um, I used to be a project manager in a project manager in IT uh, and I learned how to code and how to use technology and uh, innovation and um, yeah, I've always been very interested in, in this kind of stuff and uh, yeah, one day I just uh, decided to buy a mic and started to write some songs and I got signed to a record company in the UK which is... Uh, Bjork's record label, uh, one little independent record. Um, yeah, so I've always been really interested in um, sort of programming music and a sort of play with innovation and new technology. So I'm really interested in um, virtual reality right now. I'm working on things like uh, volumetric video, which is sort of like the new the new step for virtual mm -hmm. reality. Yeah. And, um, can I can I ask you a quick question yeah. about that? So are you using are you using like mocap technology or how what what kind of volumetric video are you so playing around with? Basically, it's uh, it's not mocap anymore. We don't really need um, uh, traces. Uh -huh. you, it's it's just cameras. And so <sighs> That's instead so of cool. yeah, instead of having uh, computerized avatars yeah. for the metaverse, you have actual scans of the body okay um, so that's why it's called volumetric video so uh -huh. it's, it's, it's still a bit rough and you know new and yeah um, of course um, in development but um, but yeah it's really close to to become something big I think and yeah so I'm working on a project of performance with that um, so basically you mean that um, you have a venue and um, the digital twin in the metaverse of the venue so it's yeah. the same place mm -hmm. And then I will be singing in the cameras, in the you know, with the cameras around me, and so we'll be live in the metaverse, in the digital twin venue. So that's kind of the thing. So it means that if I play in the opera in Bristol, in the UK, for instance, yeah. someone in Japan can just like wear the VR thing and be actually in the VR, digital VR twin of the the opera mm -hmm. and see me as an avatar yeah and that's I know um, for instance like uh, Coachella they played around with having these augmented experiences mm -hmm. that were even cooler than yeah. probably better than the live experience in yeah. certain ways like all sorts of really neat um, you know visual elements and, and animation and things like that so I could see how that twinning could then add you could add other layers and, and it gives the opportunity for different kinds of creativity yeah I guess so and I think that you know the metaverse is definitely here so we need to just go and explore it and yeah. uh, find new ways to enhance the, the live performance because you know it's just yeah it's just going to get bigger and bigger and it's not going to go away so we need to do something I guess nice about it and I think that artists have to sort of like yeah start and uh, yeah just start an experiment and yeah that's the fun part of it. Having both perspectives of you know having worked in tech and built things in tech and being an artist how what's missing what what are the pieces that you feel like urgently need to be built or maybe not urgently but over the next few years need to be built to make to give artists that ability to really play around create create a new aesthetic whatever it is we need to do in this medium I guess for me it's quite easy because I used to 
crude myself mm -hmm. and um, so I kind of like understand these kind of things I know how to manage projects and work with developers mm -hmm. but I think that most artists don't don't really have this this thing and so I think that it's really important for them to just like get interested in it and you know get in touch with developers that, that are creative coders and stuff like that and um, yeah I guess that's the probably the missing bit you know for for the metaverse to sort of explode uh, explode as a as a thing um, but yeah so I guess this relationship with developers and just understand that uh, artists now are like multidisciplinary you know you, yeah. you, you, do, you make projects you don't only make music anymore you, you make crazy stuff so yeah. yeah yeah it's an exciting time in that the silos between the different performing arts can't really exist uh, for very very conveniently anymore but that's also where all the how all the funding's divided right so yeah so it's complicated yeah so i guess you know there's loads of opportunities out there and uh loads of conferences like this one where you can just like understand what's going on and yeah just learn a bit more about music tech and uh yeah i think that it's just it's just a thing now and uh yeah, yeah. what um if you look ahead in five to ten years what gets you most excited? Like, what do you feel like if I can, if we can get to this place, art can really take off? I guess that for me, the thing that I'm trying to achieve right now is like to bring humanity in, in technology, mm. which is one of the things that I think that we don't really talk about. Yeah. Because uh, for now it's like very computerized and, you know, people are kind of like scared because it's not, it's not as human as you would like it to be. And, um... I think that you know, if we manage to bring some part of nature and beauty in the metaverse and in that kind of environment, I think that it would really, really make sense, and mm -hmm. I think that more people would get interested. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm really exploring with the volumetric video how to integrate like cinema, like yeah, good quality cinema in the metaverse, and maybe bits of nature, and yeah, how to make it more human, basically. So it's never going to replace obviously nature but I think that we we have some art to make and I think that it's a bit you know it's a bit lacking I think there's a bit more soul to put into the technology bit which is yeah kind yeah. of like what I'm trying to achieve so maybe in 10 years time when something is so new we often get excited and let the technology lead us along and it almost feels like it's the like it's another collaborator or like maybe even the director or producer yeah. or like you know kind of bossing us around <laughs> And I, I love that you're talking about realizing that we are, it is ultimately not, it, it's not a thing unto itself and that we have a choice about what, what we want it to be. And that choice can have a lot of soul and can have a lot of emotion yeah. um, and yeah. not just be flashy or, you yeah. know, surface level. Exactly. I think that um, technology is a tool and we need to put some philosophy in it. You know, we need to, as you say, you know, it, it can't be... You can't continue as we do, as we're doing right now, like l letting the technology lead the way. It's just humans have to just like stop for a minute and think about it, and yeah, try to bring some soul and some sense as well, because we we're using technology in a very wrong way at the moment, mm. within social media and you know extreme capitalism and stuff like that. But um, that's a long debate. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely, I think we're in control and we have lots of things to do, bringing some soul and trying to bring some soul. In there. Thank you so much, Sarah. That's okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 
We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.